Um, I'm going to uh, be reading from uh, the letter of Paul to Titus, chapter 2. So if you have your scriptures, please turn to that passage of scripture, Titus chapter 2. And I'm going to be reading from uh, verse 1 through 10 of the letter of Paul to Titus. So if you will read along with me in your scriptures, the word of God, as it is found recorded for us in Paul's letter to Titus. You must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Set them an example by doing what is good in your teaching. Show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned. So, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. Now, um, this passage of scripture has many compound words in it, and uh, so I'm going to try and give you a bit of a flair for what is going on by reading from another translation. It's really a paraphrase. It's called the Phillips translation, and uh, I encourage you when you're studying the scriptures to use multiple translations because very often they give you a sense of feeling of what the underlying text uh, is trying to communicate. It's not always easy to translate these phrases and words. And so I'm going to read for you how the Phillips translation or paraphrase uh, translates this particular section. Now you must tell them the sort of character which should spring from sound teaching. The old men should be temperate, serious, wise, spiritually healthy through their faith, love, and patience. Similarly, the old woman should be reverent in their behavior should not make unfounded complaints, and should not be over-fond of wine. They should be examples of the good life, so that the younger women may learn to love their husbands and their children, to be sensible and chaste, home lovers, kind-hearted and willing to adapt themselves to their husbands. A good advertisement for the Christian faith. The young men too, you should urge to take life seriously, letting your own life stand as a pattern of good living. In all your teaching, show the strictest regard for truth and show that you appreciate the seriousness of the matters you are dealing with. Your speech should be unaffected and logical so that your opponents may feel ashamed and find nothing in which to pick holes. Slaves should be told that it is their duty as Christians to obey their masters and to give them satisfactory service in every way. They are not to answer back or to be 
light-fingered, but they are to show themselves utterly trustworthy, a living testimonial that a teaching of God our Savior. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the instructions and teachings that it contains. Help us to take these seriously and to apply these into the life of our church, into our lives as individuals, Lord God, being bound by these instructions to know that therein are the issues of life. And so, Father, as always, let the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be truly acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and redeemer. So, in the second passage of uh, our chapter of Titus, we keep going in terms of what Paul is telling Titus to get in order. Previous chapter said uh, uh, the letter began with this instruction to Titus, put in order these things and appoint authority and, you know, watch out for those guys who are upsetting the church. And we had a look at that last time, uh, who they were and what their characteristics were. Now we're looking at the antidote, if you will, for this, saying is that, yes, there's always going to be in our churches those uh, that create problems and troubles and bad doctrine, and uh, we need to have an antidote. And Paul goes on to teach what is the antidote, if you will, for healthy, sound living within the church. And so this section teaches uh, what that is all about. And so there are a couple of things that uh, Paul highlights. One, a church needs to understand that there is always a place for every aspect of society. Whether you're old, whether you're young, whether you're disadvantaged, whether you're from the economically weak, no matter what, the church has a place for you. And in this place, we have to know and learn how to treat one another and how to live. And one of the key characteristics of the letter of Paul to Titus is that preaching and teaching cannot, cannot be divorced from an appropriate lifestyle. And then the effectiveness of our teaching is dem demonstrated in the effectiveness and the impact of our lifestyle. And I think we need to begin to start taking these things seriously because very often we preach and teach, but very little semblance of what that impact is in the outworkings of everyday life. And so Paul, time and time again, instructs people saying is that this are the characteristics of what your life must look like if your teaching and our doctrine is to have any semblance of success in impacting the society. And then he says you ought to be, have a teachable spirit. Not only ought you to be composed of uh, all of the multiple aspects of the society in which you live in, and that there's a place for everyone, but everyone must be teachable, uh, no matter in which section of life you are. And not only must you be teachable, but out of your teaching must emerge responsibility uh, that we have to one another. And out of that responsibility, hopefully, comes a lifestyle that emerges from the life of the church that begins to have an impact on the society around us. And clearly, one of the things that the early church was able to do successfully was to live counterculturally. And to say, yes, we live in our culture. We have every part of our culture represented in our congregations. And we also show how these moving parts work together, especially in terms of those aspects of the culture where there is divisiveness 
hatred and inequality and so into this mixture the church dares to preach that there is justice equality love care concern for one another from disparate backgrounds but yet learning to live under the banner of our lord this has a tremendous influence on the culture it has a tremendous impact on society and if there is one thing that had an impact was this changed lifestyle that allowed christianity to grow so fast and so successfully and if we are to ask why after 70 years as a republic we've had so little impact on our society we have to wonder whether our doctrines and the things that we preach have not translated into appropriate lifestyles uh, in the communities that we live in and so this section comes as a sober reminder of the things that we need to practice and need to inculcate in our lives so it starts off it says you must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine here again sound doctrine is not uh, some dead orthodoxy all right but it is a healthy lifestyle that's what sound doctrine means over here sound in terms of healthy uh, when you looked at a person and you saw that uh, he was physically fit and he was conducting his life um, he could run and he could participate in the games that were conducted and he conducted himself in the civic life and in work and all of these things he had a healthy life and that is what sound doctrine means the word sound implies this notion of hygiene that's the word that is used here and we get our word hygiene you know good pure living if you will or healthy living uh, from this word sound doctrine so the point that we are saying is that look uh, sound doctrine is really about healthy living all right and unfortunately what happens is that uh, christians don't seem to have been able to emphasize and to convince society that our lifestyle is healthy you guys are fuddy duddies you go you guys don't have fun you have all these rules and restrictions and you take the the fun out of life and you know and on and on it goes <laughs> and so i think paul is saying to timothy i mean to titus saying is that listen there is a healthiness which comes from the practice of sound doctrine <coughs> excuse me so he says teach and so it's interesting that the teaching applies to all segments of the congregation whether you're old whether you're young or whether you're economically disadvantaged it says you must have a teachable spirit and who are they now being taught by <coughs> a young person no less titus is probably in his uh, mid 20s if at all and he's been instructed by paul to teach these things to these segments of the congregation <coughs> so it starts off by saying is that teach the older men to be temperate worthy of respect self-control sound in faith in love and in endurance now interestingly the word that is translated old men is the same word that began the section says appoint presbyters uh the word translated old men and by the way old woman is the feminine form of the word presbyter so the fact is that older word the older men and women are referred to as presbyters elders and it was a common term so when it comes into the church it begins to have a definitive role in terms of what it means within the church but here it takes on a more generic sense saying is that look it refers to any older person now who's an old man <clears throat> or for that matter old woman become sensitive when you get to that category but that's uh, 
what the scripture is talking about. So who is an older man, an older man or an old man? is somebody who has reached the point at which they have proved themselves in their profession, have raised children, conducted their homes, and have has achieved a certain level of respectability in the community. And so people begin to start looking up to these folks. This is just not chronological age. So in the society, if you were referred to as an old man, it was not, not just uh, somebody who was old in years, but also somebody who had attained certain achievements or hallmarks or benchmarks. So you were expected to have had a good married life. You were expected to have brought up your children well. You were expected to have participated in civil life. You, uh, you were expected to have uh, an appropriate profession and to show yourself um, you know, proficient in your profession. Uh, all of these things were characteristic of older men, both in the society and so within the church. Paul says it ought not to be anything less. And he highlights certain characteristics as teach the older men to be temperate. Uh, this is kind of what is also expected of the older woman when it says don't drink too much wine. It says be temperate. Don't walk around as if you're drunk all the time. That's precisely what it says. You know, you don't slur your speech. You don't uh, walk all over the place and, you know, be sober-minded. You know, be temperate and act as if uh, you're a mature person uh, who knows how to conduct themselves in speech and word and deed and walking and talking so that people, when they talk to you, don't think you're drunk all the time. That's the word temperate. All right? It says worthy of respect. Now, it's interesting that that word, it's a multiple word in the English, but it's really the single word. It says reverential. It's the same thing that is asked of women. And what it means is that people, when they see you, ought to revere you. Why? It was the word that was used of articles and of people that were dedicated to temple worship. So that if you saw a priest, you said, you know, we do this, we show respect. Why? Because you have a certain position and you're expected to act in a certain way. Or if it's a holy object, we don't treat it with disdain, we treat it with a certain amount of respect and due concern. And that's the word that's used here, saying that be reverential and your lifestyle should indicate that you're set apart by God for a particular purpose. And so people ought to recognize this and give you the respect that is due as one who follows through in his lifestyle in terms of what is taught and preached. And so this is what it says, worthy of respect. You set yourself up, be worthy of it. And again, this notion is that when somebody takes a coin, breaks it, and finds that it's fake, that's disappointment. Don't let our lifestyles be those that disappoint people because it's fake. So this is the point he emphasizes. And he says, self-control. He says, you know, in, in your life, there are times when the only control you have over your over anything in your life is yourself. All right? There will be instances when you're alone. All right? Nobody's watching. Fill out your income tax. <laughs> your tax people may find out later, but that's beside the point. All right? And this is the notion that, hey, God's watching. You're responsible to God. Self-control. There are passions, there are ideas, there are thoughts, there are things, things in life. And uh, the thing is that at the end of the day, you take responsibility for your life and for the outcomes of your life and the patterns of your life and what comes out as a result of a good teaching. And this is what you learn in Joseph. You know, if you go to the Old Testament, here's Joseph. You know, he's working for uh, this official and, of course, the official's wife, uh, you know, makes a play for Joseph. 
I'm not talking about cricket here, by the way. Huh? And so Joseph, in this particular instance, says, look, I'm standing up against what is coming at me, not because I don't find it attractive, good, pleasurable. No, he says, but the reason I abstain and I run away is because I know that God is watching and that my responsibility is to the God that I adhere to and confess. Self-control. Joseph could have had his way. Nobody would have known. You know, it had all been probably hushed up and everything would have been fine and dandy. But what Paul is saying is that even in those instances, please exercise self-control. And this goes for all categories almost. And he says, sound in faith. He says, self-control, sound in faith, in love and in endurance. The word that is used is, um, you know, sound in faith again. Healthy faith. Sound in faith. That means your faith ought to produce healthy living. All right? Take care of your body. Take care of your relationships. Take care of the way you, you conduct yourself in your professional. Sound doctrine. That's what it's all about. He says, you know, you can't afford to have a neglect in all of the areas which shows that your life is worth something and is attractive and attracts reverence, if you will. It says, sound in faith, in love and in endurance. Love, agape. In the community of faith, older persons, show agape love. It's important. And he says, endurance. He says, what is endurance about? The word that is used is somebody going forward in life with a heavy load on his back. So even when things get rough, please show the benefit of what it means to quote-unquote endure. It's the word that is used of a marathon runner who is having to run and his success is seen by the fact that no matter what comes up, he reaches his destination. Running a marathon is not easy, as many of you may know, if you run the marathon. Some of us try to walk the marathon, but no, you have to run the marathon. <laughs> so that's endurance, right? So this is what Paul is saying. He's writing to them. He's saying that you've got to show endurance. You've got to show the ability of being able to continue and sustain yourself and your faith and your lifestyle and all of these things that are asked to be practiced even when the going gets tough. Even when you just want to give up and just go to the side of the road and says, endure, endurance, even when things get rough, even when the load is heavy, even when you think nobody's watching, all of these things, endurance, that's got to be a hallmark do you finish well? Do you finish well? Is what Paul is writing to Titus to teach those who are older. He says likewise. And again, when you see these words likewise, therefore, all of this, what Paul is trying to communicate is that I've given you a list of things, but that list is not exhaustive. I'm just picking a few things that are important. And oh, by the way, I've just told you that it's important in the life of the oldest. It's also important in the life of the woman. But I'm just going to give you some additional things that are particularly important for the older woman. All right. So it's not to say that the next category um, doesn't have to practice love and doesn't have to practice self-control and all of these types of things. So yes, you do. But let me pick out a few other things that are important for this particular category. It says, likewise, the older woman ought to be irreverent. And here it is again. Same thing that was required of the older men. It says your lifestyle you know, ought to be reverent in the sense that if you're holding yourself out to be a special person who practices quote-unquote holiness and purity and 
all of these things in your lifestyle and so therefore attracts reverence and respect. He says, then practice it. Teach the older woman to be reverent in the way they live. Okay? Got to translate into livelihood in terms of lifestyles. It's important. And he says that uh, not to be slanderers. It's interesting that the word that is used there is the word diablos, the word that is used of Satan. He says, you know, we ought not to be the types of people that have the character of Satan in terms of the way we use our tongues and the way we interact with people. And the scripture teaches that the devil was a murderer and a liar from the very beginning. And when our Lord, when he teaches on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew and elsewhere in Luke, says that, you know, what is murder? Murder is when you start hating your brothers and sisters in the faith. All right. That is tantamount to murder. And so, therefore, when you don't practice agape love and when you don't practice forgiveness and all of these characteristics in the body of faith, you're acting like the Diablos, the devil, who goes around trying to divide and bring disruption and create all of this stuff. And how does he do it? He brings false accusations. You see it in the book of Job, right? You bring it in other places. He's always known as the accuser of the brethren. Are you going to play this particular role? Instead of being an encourager, a builder-upper, if you will, a person who loves and who builds up the body of faith, are you the one who begins to tear down because you carry malicious gossip and slander and untrue tales about one another and create uh, hatred within one, one another and create murderous impulses? Is that is that the way you want to live? Hardly. Don't be diablos, is what Paul writes to Titus. He says, not... Uh, Addicted to much wine. It means, yeah, you can have a little wine, but don't get addicted to it. He said, this is the point. You see, in our lifestyles, we've got to learn how good things can be addictive if you're not careful. Right? I've seen people addicted to exercise, you know, who spend most of their time, <laughs> they spend most of their time, you know, biceps and whatever else that they want to develop, right? And it takes such, you know, so good things become addictive, you know? And what Paul is saying is that, yes, even in the case of wine, and the word that is used as, you know, uh, you know, don't be a doulos to enos. You know, doulos was the word, of, you know, slave. Don't be a slave to, you know, to wine. And you know that in Crete and in Roman society, you had the great god Bacchus, who was the god of good times. So that's where you get the word Bacchanalian. You know, you have a god and I have a wild party. You know, you had Bacchus <laughs> celebrating along with you, right? He's saying, so that's the point. He says, that's, you know, yeah, you want to have a good time? You want to have a party? Yes, go have a party. But don't, you know, blow your brains out in the process of the good times that you have at the party, right? Don't be addicted. Don't allow this to become so emblematic of your lifestyle that it becomes addictive. So that's what he's saying is it's not addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. That is, teach, and, and again, the Phillips translation gets at it, teach what is the good life. Why don't we teach our people what is the good life? Why is it that Christianity and holiness has no attraction to it? Why? And we've got to ask ourselves this question. All right? Because if we truly were able to convince people that we know how to live the good life, I tell you, this church would be overflowing. We wouldn't be able to contain the number of people who want to come here. All right? But these things have to be taught as well, all right? Because there is an alternative to the good life that is offered by our society, which saying is that sound doctrine, sound teaching leads to a lifestyle which leads to a, the good life. It's very interesting. I, 
you know always part of whatsapp groups and this particular group sent me a um, testimony of a billionaire who was dying and had a couple of weeks to live and he says you know what i look back on my life i could buy anything i could live anywhere i could have anybody i wanted you know in terms of uh, sexual favors or relationships but you know what i blew my lives with my children i blew my family life i was so addicted to work i didn't have time for anybody else i have no major friends and now i look back and says did i have the good life ask yourself you know as an older person and that's the point when you get to the end of the road can you look back and say this was a fulfilling life and so be careful he says use that intelligence to start off instructing those folks who are beginning the journey don't wait for them to make all the same mistakes all right teach them what you've learned in the journeys of life and so he says okay teach them what is good not addicted to much wine but teach them what is good the good life then they can teach the younger woman so here again saying is that your responsibility is that they become teachers also and part of the problem is that every time we have to get some ministry action done in our churches we ask for volunteers and all the old men old women young men young women all bag out and we find out who do we go to yeah saying is that you as older men older women have a responsibility to the younger parts of the generation in our churches all right it says so that they can teach the younger women to do what to love their husbands interesting yeah the word uh, when do you have to teach younger women to love anything especially their husbands right but uh, or their children for that matter but both are encapsulated here to be lovers of their husbands and lovers of their children that's the compound word all right phileo andros phileo to love andros man and it's really interesting it's the word where we get philandra from right and here it's a play a word he's a don't be a philanderer but be a philandros that means a, a a woman a person who loves one man and that better be your husband yeah so that's the point <laughs> so the issue that is uh, being highlighted over here he says and notice it it says that in other passages of scripture it talks about uh, this love relationship either in terms of eros or either in terms of agape but here uh, in this particular letter is phileo uh, all right phileo andros you know a lover of one man one husband your husband and what is paul trying to get at there is a point in time when these relationships of young women especially beginning their married life ought to understand that marriage is a friendship adelphoi is the love quotient in friendship and what is he saying you know when you are single who do you have a good time with with your friends all right when you get married have a good time with your husband all right that's the point transfer these notions of what it means to have a great party and a great bash and all of these things develop friendships develop friendships all right yes all of the other stuff is important the agape love and the eros love and all of that he says but cultivate adelphoi andros and then he says adelphoi andros or with your children across with your little ones right he says treat your little children as friends at the end of the day when you look back on life what do you to teach the younger ones hey the good life is about being a friend to your husband about being a friend to your children right i was having a conversation with somebody yesterday last night and 
talking about our children and he says you know the greatest grief i have is that i don't have a relationship with my daughter it's an estranged relationship yeah i did some things that that perhaps hurt her or whatever and he older on in life mourning for the fact that he could not have a sustained relationship with his daughter it pained him i could see that older men women teach what it means to be friends with your children all right that is a skill set that needs to be taught it doesn't come naturally friendship with your husband doesn't come naturally it needs to be taught all right and so so, so go ahead it says then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and their children to be self controlled there is the term again and pure which is the notion of you know respectability all right so that when others look at your lifestyle they said yeah she's the true thing right what she holds out is intrinsic there's no you know counterfeit here it says to be busy at home unfortunately that's in my opinion not a completely accurate translation to be busy at home so some people go to this passage of scripture and then the additional thing be submissive to your husband ah it says you know where's the place of the wife it's at home don't go outside and work outside and then we get all this strange theology emerging from it right not so what is it saying it says this woman is a person who knows how to run a household you know remember crete was an island most of the men were either maritimers in the in, you know in in the trades in the ships or they were soldiers because we know that crete was often attacked by either its surrounding folks right either greece or egypt or syria or assyria even till most recently right into the 80s people were fighting over crete are you greek are you turkish are you what so the men were always called to warfare and it's interesting what it says is that if a man who's called to war stays at home he is a disgrace so what is the point the point is saying is that these women were asked to take responsibility of their household because the house was the place where business was also conducted if you were a craftsman you had your you know, workplace underneath you didn't go somewhere else you could perhaps if you're an architect or something but by and large the house was the place where everyday living went on professional and otherwise and what paul is saying and the word that he uses is this be a guardian over your household it's an awesome responsibility it's, you know, it's not about you know cooking cleaning and saying i i to your husband whenever he comes home right it's not the point he said he said you've got to take control over your household and run it the way god intends for it to be and the interesting thing is that the word that is used for home icos right is also the word that is used for the temple and what sometimes there's always this play on words your home is sacred space your home is sacred space and it needs to be protected and it needs to be nurtured and it needs to have a guardian over it it's interesting it didn't say you man be the guardian over your whole house right the woman is given that awesome responsibility to be the guardian over the household which is a sacred space and has as its responsibility not only making sure that the husband stays on track but also the children stay on track 
and that the business stays on track and things are done in a way so that when society looks on, because we have ample evidence of epitaphs on gravestones of famous women in Crete and in Rome where it was highlighted that they were good wives, that is, knew how to take care of their husbands and knew how to take care of their homes. These were characteristics that were highlighted as commendable. And so Paul, writing to the church in Crete, says that if society can hold these up, why shouldn't it also be applicable to us and why shouldn't we do more in terms of these attributes and virtues that come to our fund? So he says, therefore, love them um, as husbands and children, love, teach them to be self-controlled, pure, to be busy at home. That is, you know, watch your home. And then it says, right, to be um, kind, right? What is this? You know, kindness is, you know, even temperedness. You know, he's writing to older women to teach younger women to be even-tempered. What, what does that mean? It says, you know, there are some people, you never know how they're going to react when you come into their presence. Whether they're going to scream at you, yell at you, say pleasant things to you or something else, right? So what the Lord is saying is saying is that, look, teach people to be even-tempered. All right? Yes, of course, there are bad days, good days, bad hair days, and good hair days, and whatever else that happens, right? But that means does not mean that it gives you the opportunity to mistreat people who come into the ambit of your circle. All right? Self-controlled. That's what it means. You might be having a bad day. That's all right. Get it together, guys. Don't make the person who comes into you feel so small, so marginalized, so kind of, ah. Not so. Kindness. Tell you, more souls are won by kindness than anything else. And then he says, subject to their husbands. Oh man, this blows the lid now. <laughs> it's very interesting. I was uh, going through the newspaper and I seldom bring the newspaper to uh, church. Right? You know what the headline says? This is the, this is the Times of India, right? Can you read it? You can't, maybe. <laughs> The folks at the front can. It says, the new fad to be a submissive wife. That's the headline. Times of India, by the way. Delhi edition, which means it's pretty important, right? <laughs> new fad to be a submissive wife. So what, is the, teach, the church teaching the old fad in new forms to be submissive to your wife or husbands? I'll tell you what. Stay away from fads in the first place. What does the scripture teach? The word that is used to be submissive is a word that is always translated in context. <clears throat> it has two meanings in two contexts. One a military context and one a secular context. The military context when this particular word is used, oh, yes, has this notion of, hey, be obedient. If your colonel tells you, the major says, aye, aye, sir. Right? That's fine. But in its secular usage in civil society, it had a different meaning. It was to have a coordinated, cooperative agreement. All right? Doesn't mean that the wife, when it says be subject to, is saying, say, cooperate with your husband. All right? Can you come to terms here? You know, yes, you'll have some differences of opinion and there may be things, but hey, can you, you know, get to an understanding that is appropriate? so that ultimately your lifestyle to the world 
does not get tarnished in terms of saying these guys always crapping and fighting can't get along and can't make up their minds and can't even determine how to live together are you friends you know of course friends scrap and scramble and all this time right but there's always forgiveness there's always the ability to say hey it's all right we are still friends at the end of the day all right so this notion of submissive is not some notion of the husband you know having it and lording it over the wife and and forcing her to stay at home while he goes out and has a good time and does all this other stuff and the work is all given to this wife not so it promotes a very egalitarian form of relationships where it's saying is that you have a responsibility an exalted responsibility where the home is a sacred space and you as the woman are given charge of making sure it stays that way and in your relationship with your husband you go get along with one another because there's a mutuality of respect and a mutuality of agreement not a lordship over one another that is what it means and yes you know husband has to give in sometimes the wife has to give in sometimes that's the notion of being able to be quote unquote scripturally submissive and that is a consistent message that always comes through and you'll notice that in all of paul's writing irrespective of what people may say about his uh, treatment of men and women is always this notion of balance and you'll see it here old men old women young wo- young women young men slaves we'll talk about why masters are excluded in this particular section always the balance and invariably most of the language applies to all of them with a few nuances thrown in for the particular group and that's exactly what is happening here it says you can't no nobody should be able to look into our homes and into our lifestyles and say ah oh, there's something wrong here the thing is that we ought to conduct our lifestyle so that in no way could anybody poke holes as philip translation says right and so he says it says subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of god and that word malign is the word don't allow rot to set in it says you know people will be allow will look at your word the logos that we saying is that uh, and so because it's not we don't uh, teach it consistently all right and we don't practice it consistently we allow corruption to creep in and it begins to erode eat away and destroy the very thing it is intended to promote and and and, and protect and so it says over here so malign the word of god don't let you know the our testimony be corrupted by corruptible influences that creep in all right similarly it says encourage the young men to be self controlled the word that is used is you know self controlled or uh, young men is newbies all right young guys that's what it means newbies all right older men teach the newbies how to control themselves and to live a appropriate lifestyle all right it says young men self control again same word that applies to the other categories in everything set them an example by doing what is good what is he saying the imagery that is used again a single word it says is that you titus show to these young men what it means to live the good life and how does that happen he says just as in an embroidery you put a pattern on a piece of cloth and then the person who is learning to stitch kind of emblazons itself on that pattern all right so that is the basis on which the person learns that is the imagery that is given to titus he says create a pattern for good living for sound living and allow the younger folks to see that and then mirror themselves if you will or to stitch within that to embroider within that pattern all right 
And so he says, teach them this way. He says, by doing in everything, set them an example by doing what is good in your teaching. Teach them what is the good life in your teaching. Show integrity. I say, don't be counterfeit. All right? Integrity, you know, what you preach is what you teach, and what you teach is what you live, right? Seriousness. Again, the word seriousness, again, is that don't be acting like a drunkard. You know, I have, I, have, I have the seriousness and soundness of speech. All right? Soundness of speech, again, is saying is that your speech should be such that it builds up, not tears down. Again, the same type of thing. Don't be a Diablos. All right? Don't be going around spreading a maliciousness. It's a soundness of speech that cannot be condemned. The saying is that, look, when somebody listens to you and hears you, they're saying is your logic is right. The points you make are right. All right? And it's difficult to poke holes in your arguments and in your teaching because there's congruity. Nobody can say, hey, look, you know, you're teaching this, but look at you. You don't even practice it. All right? Can't do that. All right? So it can't be So that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about you. Please remember, there are people outside of our churches who are looking to find fault with us. They're always there. Say, oh, you bunch of hypocrites. You know, you say all of this, but look at us. And that's why I stay away from church. I don't want to be a part of a bunch of hypocrites. Yeah, it's possibly true. But that's the point. The thing is that our whole lifestyle and our teaching and our preaching and our demeanor and everything else that we practice ought to be so attractive and so rational and reasonable, right? So that nobody can poke holes in it and nobody can say there's a bifurcation between speech and practice. All right, and then it goes on, he says, teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything. And again, same word, subject, is the same word that is used. Again, it's not saying is that, you know, your masters lord it over your slaves, right? Uh, but it says that, hey, come to a mutual agreement. Now, the interesting thing is over here, you'll notice that masters are not mentioned. Like in every other instance, when the pattern happens, when slaves are talked about, masters are also addressed. The reason is that master, those masters are already part of being an elder or being an elderly woman, an old woman. Or, you know, in those instances when you are a young person who got into riches, well, you're already there. So there's already instruction as to how to treat one another, either as an old man, as an old woman who has rights as a homeowner over slaves. You're already taught how to treat them. So there's no particular reason to pick this up again because instruction has already been given. And now the interesting thing is that in the church of God, in the church in Crete, it's interesting to see that slaves and masters are there together. And the word that is used for slave doulas also happens to mean those who are economically disadvantaged, who sell themselves because they don't have any other means to be able to sustain themselves. So not only are they quote-unquote slaves, but also those materially and economically disadvantaged so that they are also in the position of slaves. The interesting thing is that they're part of the body of Christ. This is yeah, mind-blowing if you lived in those days and in those time periods that a slave and a master would be sitting together in the same pew and having a, a, an interaction and being told that they ought to be learning from one another and perhaps even having a slave be a elder teaching a younger. This is counterculture. And then Paul writing, he says, he says, be subject to your own masters and everything. Try to please them, not to talk back to them. Don't, don't give them lip, as they say, and not to steal from them. That means don't pilfer from them, all right, but to show them that they can be totally trusted. The word totally trusted is the word faith, faithful. Totally trusted, faithful. So let, your, let, your, let your faith have some shoe leather, guys. 
no matter what your station in life in, right? If you've got in this particular situation, show that your faith in the way that you interact with your master, all right, bears the hallmarks of what you confess in terms of your faithfulness. And of course, masters are also given instruction as to what they ought to do. You've seen it before. But this is important, right? So that they can be fully trusted, so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. It's unfortunate that that is only translated attractive here in the NIV. If you have another translation, you would say to adorn the word of God. The only people who are told that they add adornment to the preached word of God is a bunch of slaves. A bunch of economically disadvantaged people. You know what it means to adorn? It says this to, you know, when a woman puts on all her jewelry and all her makeup and all her you know, stuff and, and steps out and says, wow. Think about it. A slave, through what he or she does in the marketplace in terms of their lifestyle, in terms of their household duties and responsibilities, all of a sudden is said, through that, they adorn the word of God. So guys, the church has a very, very countercultural way of dealing with these issues and for teaching and preaching and for making sure it understands the responsibility given to people. So what's the takeaway? Takeaway is we ought not to be asking for volunteers for any of our job work in church. Older men, you can't just be sitting in church and warming the pew as they say. You've been taught. You will continue to be taught. You need to continue to learn. But you need to instruct the younger men. Older ladies, old ladies, doesn't mean that just because you take this responsibility, somebody says you're old, you could still be very young in mind and heart and everything else. But you've got a responsibility. You've got to be teachable. And at the mature level at which you're in, teach those kids who are coming up, hey, it's all right. Endeavor. Be patient. You will begin to start tasting what the good life is. Because we've reached that and we can tell you and we can bear witness to it. Young woman, hey, learn. You know, family life is important. Your home is important. It's sacred. Your children, you have a great impact on them. Your husband, you have a great impact on him. All right, don't give up that. Young men, all right, you have a responsibility. Learn. Order your life. Be self-controlled. Control your passions. All right, live out the gospel message. Be teachable. Economically disadvantaged slaves, hey, adorn the word of God. So hopefully we can learn how to have an impact. I hope that at the end of 70 years of a country as a republic, as we go forward, we can have as Christians a much greater impact. Christians were the ones who built our hospitals, built our religious institutions, built our famous institutions of learning. We taught so much to this culture. And how is it that we've begun to start slipping in terms of our impact? You know what the only impact we've had, I notice, is in the matrimonials. When it talks about the woman, tall, fair, beautiful, all of this, all of this, it's just convent educated. For a good long period of time at least, Society thought that if a young lady was convent educated, 
at least she had the right outlook in terms of a lifestyle. And now we hear of Hindu convent educator. I don't know what that means, but hey, the show fits well, as they say, right? Is that the only impact we have? Let's look to the scriptures and say, let our preaching and our teaching and our lifestyles be congruent and let's take the responsibility to teach one another, encourage one another and to come alongside them.